From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. One of my pet peeves is assuming that people will at some point evolve out of their religious practices or religious beliefs into a, a modern skeptic persona or identity. I think that all religion is wild in some kind of sense, and especially the kind of things that I've studied. Like in the Hebrew Bible, you get that wildness infused or, or right, always ready to break in right at the edge of the screen. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guests today are Dr. Leah Payne and Dr. Brian Doak. Leah Payne is a professor, author, and American religious historian specializing in religious innovations, performance, and celebrity culture. Brian Doak is a professor, author, and biblical scholar specializing in ancient Israel. They are the co-hosts of a podcast that is one of my favorites called Weird Religion, and we're going to be talking about that this hour. Both of them are friends of mine, and so I'm going to be speaking less formally than I sometimes do with my guests, and I'm very happy to welcome them to Things Not Seen. Dr. Leah Payne and Dr. Brian Doak, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you, Dr. David Dalton. Ratchet it is- down the formality. <laughs> we Ratchet are so happy to be with you today. <laughs> and so for my listeners who may not have heard about or heard of Weird Religion or heard any of your episodes, it's described as an award-winning podcast for people who know that religion is weird but love it anyway. I'd like to dig into that tagline, this notion of religion being weird and this notion of the love of religion. Talk to me a little bit about that and how this idea came to be. Brian, why don't you start? Oh, man. Well, I think one of our ideas that we had early on, when you have a podcast or any kind of art or performance, you start to build a visual and a verbal structure around it. And I think part of the background, like the backstory, the unwritten backstory for us was this idea of a carnival. Like the idea that you go to almost like a freak show. Like you go to a fair or something like an old timey kind of place where maybe they have a tent that has these strange wonders on display. And I think both of us for different reasons and also for overlapping reasons just really, I don't know, felt like either attracted or repulsed to the idea of what was, what was strange. What was, I think the word weird, I could be wrong about this. So fact check this, but I think the word weird, the etymology of it, it means like having the power to control destiny, I think originally actually. So the idea that what is weird is somehow unearthly or somehow able to control things behind the scenes. And, and that seemed like a kind of an apt metaphor or not even a metaphor for what religion is for a lot of people and in the way that we talk about it. I don't know, Leah, does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the, the goals that we have in our podcast is we like to use elements or artifacts in popular culture as a starting place for talking about religious studies broadly. Hopefully we educate our listeners a little bit in terms of just 
big theories, big ideas about how to study religion and religious people and religious artifacts. But really, we just enjoy talking about strange things. I think both, and maybe this is something all three of us share. We were all raised in the X-Files generation. And so there's something just weird and fun and interesting about like mysterious unknown things. And so that's, I think that's at the heart of what we try to do. Basically, we start with some sort of pop culture item and then we riff on that item. We enter into a conversation with each other, bringing our fields of expertise and just talk about the fun, strange stuff of the world. Now, Leah, I want to follow on that because one of the things that we all share in common is that we are religion scholars, which means that there's an expectation that we're going to be creating and writing for journals and for conferences and for more formal means of expression. And a podcast, I speak from personal experience, is one of the least formal types or least formal ways of presenting these kinds of ideas. What was it that made the two of you think that you wanted to do this as a podcast as opposed to a more formal presentation like a conference, a set of conference papers or a panel or uh, a journal article? Leah, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Wow. I have to say, Dr. David Dahl, you were one of the inspirations with this because I've been a fan of things not seen for some time. And I've learned a lot from enjoying podcasts. Both Brian and I are avid podcast listeners. And I think that the podcast space, to me, I enjoy learning that way because it can fit into other aspects of my life. And you can fold laundry and listen to someone kick around a big idea in an informal way. But that also helps my brain process <laughs> information, you know? So I, I think part of it is just the format. We wanted to engage listeners that are outside of academic circles as well as inside academic circles. And traditionally speaking, academic conferences are not widely attended for the <laughs> maybe, wide Maybe audience. yours aren't. <laughs> Joking. Yeah. I don't know, Brian. What do you think? No. What is it about the laundry folding thing, by the way? That's become like a ritual. Like it's the podcast in the laundry. It's my chore. No, that's the thing. Yeah. Everybody says that. Oh, Every, really? I, okay. Yeah. No, that's the thing. The idea that you fold laundry. People are listening to this right now, folding laundry. <laughs> and there's a certain kind of meditative quality about it, but maybe we just can't handle the boredom of it. I don't know. I found it to be very relaxing sometimes without a podcast, but... How about you, David? What got you into doing podcasting? That, that's and a religion? fascinating question, and I appreciate you asking. The, the short version is in 2009, my mother passed away, and my grief process was a weird one to use your use <laughs> of the word weird. And it was a controlling weirdness that actually stopped me from being able for a period of time to write or type. And wow. I was a tenure track professor at the time, and I had a very wise friend who said, You can't write right now, but you can talk. Why don't you start to interview your? your colleagues and Mm. record it. And maybe that can be useful somewhere down the line. And through a weird turn of events, a strange turn of events that transformed into a weekly radio show down in Memphis. And that was the kind of birth of this show, Things Not Seen. So I'd like to think that there was a a kind of spiritual hand helping to guide that process. But Mm. for me, it was terror at not being able to produce anything scholarly that actually got me into radio. Wow. You know, I think to myself too, I, I, thanks for sharing that, by the way. That's super fascinating. My own piece of, of vulnerability around this isn't as dramatic or interesting as that, but I think I came to a, a classic middle-aged place as a scholar where I was like, I have seven books and like 50 articles and I just, I don't know, I was just struck with a deep feeling like that they didn't matter. 
And I know that probably I could, I'm like fishing for compliments now. Leah's like, oh no, they do matter. No, they did matter. Everything matters. But kind of didn't though. Like some of the stuff, there was a, a famous study a few years ago from one of the journal aggregate things like plus one that said basically the average academic journal article has two readers, the peer reviewers. And then I was reading a, a thread where people were joking about this and they were saying that's preposterous to think that the peer reviewers read the article. I think for me at the time when Lee and I started talking about this podcast, Weird Religion and making it, it was like a peak time for me when I was like, there's a certain sense of pride. You get a book back. You like hold the book. You finger its pages. You take the dust jacket off. You put it back on. You look at your author bio. You just open to a page of your own book and start reading. And it's like kind of romantic. But for me, something about that still persists even through the most recent things. But I just, I don't know. I just started to feel like I'm just tired of not having any feedback. I'm tired of not talking to anyone. And I think podcasts, we are talking to people. We get reviews, we get comments, we get crazy emails from people. We end up hearing people's stories. It's really fantastic. It's basically all of the engagement I wanted through scholarship and never got. I think that's there's a lot of truth to that. Both of us were looking for an artistic outlet that we didn't have in the the normal rhythms of academic life, which I think all of us, David, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but you all, we all come with this idealized view of what being a professor is going to be like. And some of that includes like these deep conversations that you have with really interesting people. And then what you find out is a lot of it is administrative. There's a lot of grading. And it was, I think it's been really fun just to say, we're going to create something. And a lot of our friends, a lot of other scholars have said, oh yeah, I've always wanted to do that. And we laugh to ourselves because it's actually a ton of work. And David, <laughs> I know you know that more than anyone that, that you put a lot of work into something that sounds a lot less formal than an academic paper. <laughs> oh, that's true for sure. I also feel, I, now I'm all riled up about this issue. I, I also think, I think I got into scholarship. I don't think I've ever said this before on the podcast, but this is in our podcast. This is David. So I can say it like, I, yeah, I think I got into scholarship thinking it was going to bring me close to people and to certain kind of conversations. And I think it actually, it did the opposite in some ways that were, that were disturbing to me. And so the podcast has allowed me to recover some of that original desire to like actually connect with people. So let me just take a moment and, and remind people that they're listening to Things Not Seen. Our guests today are Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They're religion scholars, and they are the co-hosts of a podcast that is one of my favorites called Weird Religion. And today we're talking about the process of making that podcast and some of the ideas that go into that podcast. And I, I want to follow on the momentum of the conversation that's happening here and to ask, so when you're thinking about and preparing for the conversations that you're going to have on Weird Religion— what are some of the things that go into that preparation process when you're going to be talking to a guest or talking about a subject? Is it just that you start out and you just begin riffing? Or is there some kind of research that happens before the mics are turned on and the tape starts to roll? <laughs> I have to say, I'll start because Brian is laughing. Both of us are laughing pretty hard over here right now because we have, we've always had grand dreams of being much more prepared than we have ever been prepared. Prepared. I, I think that in the past, what we have always tried to do is we've tried to respect our guests by preparing for our guests. But when it's just Brian and I, which is the majority of our podcasts, this is a labor of love for us. So I wish that we were being paid to do this. <laughs> and so a lot of times we sail into the very first episode that we did was about, it, it was really just an experiment. We were like, should we make a podcast? We'll try it. And we did an episode about the Netflix series. Wild yeah. Country. Wild Wild Country. 
Yeah. The, the Rajneeshi group in rural Oregon. Yeah, it's it very good because it was local and a very interesting story about religion and American culture and stuff like that. And we basically, it, it, we just started talking. I asked Brian if he'd ever wanted to start a cult. And then we talked about, we, we don't worry for the religion scholars listening. We problematize the idea we of We problematize the world cults. Yes, I still that like the, the first word, though, thing. But. Yeah. But anyway, so there was not a lot of preparation other than the fact that we've been training as scholars for a long time. What do you think? Brian? I think that's part of it though. It, maybe it feels like making a virtue of necessity, but I think the sense, the problem with a scholar, oh, scholars out there, the problem <laughs> with us is that it's, everything is too filtered. It's overprepared. It's a barrier. We don't actually talk about anything. We like talk about conversations. We never get to the thing. There's too much preparation. There's too much fear. There's too much fear of being exposed. There's too much fear of being wrong. And we were just like, this project for us is going away from that. And so the one preparation we do though, is that if we're talking about an artifact, we have to know what the artifact is. Yes, we're yes. talking about Wild Dog Country. We've we have, watched we had a to lot watch of TV. It. We watched a lot of TV. <laughs> and so I think just going into it with just the notion that we would ask each other questions and then just basically, I don't know, have you ever heard as teaching advice, David or Leah, someone say, you know what? The truth is, in terms of like factual knowledge and on paper knowledge, you know much more than your students will probably in most cases. It's not about that. It's about like, how are you actually connecting with them? And so I think we've tried to go straight for the guts of whatever we thought an issue was and just try to connect. I do want to say when we have scholars on and we interview them, we prepare by reading their work. It's very respectful. Yes. Yes. But I, I don't know, David, if you found this, but some of the things that we found with scholars is that, and we're trained to do this, they are just constantly feeling pressure to qualify their answers. So it's very hard to get a a casual or off the cuff right. response for them. Do you find that in your work? Because I know you interview some of the big ones. It's kind of you to say that. I, I will say that when I am preparing for an interview, I actually prefer not to interview the big ones, as you say, because they are so guarded and because their mm. answers are so well prepared. And so a lot of times what happens with me is I prefer to interview people that are on the ascent, who are hungry to get their ideas out there and are still very and deeply excited by their ideas. Because what I find is that makes for a much more unguarded, a much more rich conversation. And as I do with all guests, I try and make sure that the guests feel at home and comfortable and not like this is going to be some kind of gotcha conversation. So that's a very important aspect of this as well. And what I hear you speaking to is this idea of hospitality, making sure that your guest feels welcome. It sounds like that's important to both of you. Does that seem correct? Oh, totally. Or even I, I think of teaching that way too, like just like setting up the room or like a lot of this hospitality rubric actually explains a lot of what works and what doesn't in the world, I think. Yeah. I think one of the things that has been so fun for us and we hope it's fun for our listeners too, is that we have, I'd say we have kind of complementary styles and interests, not all the same. Dr. Doke over here is very, he, he's the visual artist of the two of us. And so he always has like really good, strong ideas about where we need to be visually. And I think that my, uh, I bring a, a kind of very strange enthusiasm for the particularities of our, our artifacts that we choose. So I think we try to do that. We, and we try to just welcome our guests. We don't have guests as much where we Mostly it's just a logistics issue. We'd love to talk to, with more people. We had a full um, season where we did a guest yeah, we, every time. And it was great. It was so fun. It was just really hard to get everybody's schedules. We had a, we had an expert on conspiracy theories. We had a finalist on The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. We had one Dr. David Dalt we had as a David part of Dalt. that. Yeah. Yep. But I think that the hospitality thing is the thing we both share. 
we want to make people feel comfortable. We want it to feel like we're all sitting down having a drink together. And hopefully that comes through. Let's take a quick break. For those that have just joined us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guests today are Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They are both professors of religion, and they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. And we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll have access to close to 10 years worth of these kinds of conversations, all for free for your listening pleasure. I'm speaking today with Dr. Leah Payne and Dr. Brian Doak. They're both scholars of religion, but they're also the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. And we're talking today about that show and what goes into making that show. Brian, a few moments ago, one of the things that you talked about in terms of the concept for this podcast, Weird Religion, was this notion of the carnival or the freak show. And I want to return to that because I can imagine some listeners would hear that and would hear that as a kind of mocking or dismissiveness about the subject matter that you're talking about or the people that you're talking to. I'm certain you didn't mean that. So I want to circle back to that and give you a chance to go a little deeper and to talk about what is it that goes into making sure that there's good and respectful approaches to this subject matter while also letting it be its wild self? Yeah, totally. I consider myself part of that show in a sense. Like I, for me, it's a loving reflection, even on my own upbringing in a family and in a church, like in a radically charismatic church, which just had a plot to its existence, which was like any kind of roller coaster and something I experienced through very tender ages of my life. So for me, it's a kind of loving gesture toward, you know, what I felt like I went through and, and even what I think a lot of us experience religion as even from people who are looking at it, maybe from the outside, it's who are these crazy people? And I think through our own podcast, we've always tried to like, you know, just speak for somebody who's looking in from the outside. Like, for example, one of the most recent episodes we did was about this issue of like witchcraft and curses and also prayers around the election day. And so there was this attempt to put a hex on Donald Trump by this group. And also then there was this very, it was a very popular on the internet prayer by Paula White who was speaking in tongues and was, and I think one thing that we tried to do in the podcast was not just play it for sensationalistic purposes and like listening to someone speaking in tongues. If you've never heard that is, it definitely feels strange, like a carnival, like who are these people? But I think that there was a sense like that we then circled back Leah and we were like, what kind of prayer is this actually? And what's the belief that animates the idea that there would be angels from Africa or angels from South America that would be coming? And what's the spiritual view of domains and the angelic and so on? And so I think probably it, it has to come out just in the, I don't know, the thoughtfulness with how we discuss things. Yeah, I think from my perspective, the title of the podcast and the carnivalesque aesthetic that guides us is in many ways a loving tribute and also an appreciation for what 
a lot of people think of as fringe religious movements or fringe religious ideas. One big idea that animates my own scholarship is the idea that there really isn't a fringe. The fringe weird stuff is central Mm. to understanding religions, religious movements, religious people, religious texts. And I'm actually just very interested in those kind of the outskirts of what some people think of certain ideas central and then other ideas as as like on the outskirts. And I'm interested in those outskirts ideas. I think they're just as important and instructive as the traditional things that we think of as respectable religion. Mm. But I also share a background in what many would people, I have characterized myself as a zany West Coast charismatic. So I participated in a lot of that stuff as a child. And so I still, I know that there was intense meaning and power there that is just as important as the highest high church liturgy that you could find. Mm. Yeah. I, I We always try to be respectful, even if we're poking fun at it a little bit. Like one of the things that One of my favorite things that we've talked about is I come from a Pentecostal background, the Pentecostal use of the tambourine. It it can get a little bit silly, but there's a lot of love there too. So hopefully our listeners will feel the love as well as just the sincere desire to investigate with integrity. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Now, one of the things that I was thinking of as I was preparing for this conversation, a couple of years ago, there's a, a religion scholar by the name of Reza Aslan, and he had a CNN show called Believer. And my takeaway from that show was that he was going in as a skeptic and was deeply participating in the kind of fringe religious rituals of many different types of faiths that you're making reference to. But I always got the feeling that he was smugly smirking at that and was never being vulnerable himself in those moments. The difference that I'm hearing in your answers is that you're leaning into your own ownership of the the weirdness of your own religious upbringings and traditions, and you're never, I'm not hearing you saying that you're coming into this with a smug or a smirking kind of approach, but instead you're coming in saying, wow, this really affected me, Brian Doak, Leah Payne, and we can empathize from that, that it really affected these people that we're talking to or these activities or these objects that we're talking about. Now, when I phrase it that way, have I got it right or would you say it in a different way? No, I, I like that. And I've seen, I think, elements of the show and, and, and the religion scholar, the public, you know, media person you're talking about, Reza Aslan. And I, I got that same sense. And I, I don't know, it, it feels very alienating unless you're in a certain kind of in-group. I guess all conversation occurs within in-groups in a certain way. But I think we have tried in our own way, probably failed a lot, but I think succeeded sometimes too in having a conversation that people could feel like that they were a part of. And never sneered at. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think one of the one of my pet peeves in scholarly world is when scholars take on a, a, a really detached persona when they're looking at or when they're experiencing a phenomena, which I know like to a certain degree, we're all trained to do that. But I, I don't one of my pet peeves is assuming that people will at some point evolve out of their religious practices or religious beliefs into a, a modern skeptic persona or identity. So then it assumes that the people, the religionists, are in some ways like less evolved than the skeptic. And I think my personal <laughs> perspective is we're kind of all in this together, skeptic or believer. So that dichotomy is not super helpful. And I haven't seen that show, so I can't really weigh in on it, but I definitely am familiar with that general approach. <laughs> so yeah, we try to just, I, I don't know, take seriously the enthusiasm that people have for whatever practice it is. Even if I think it's silly, I can appreciate 
the excitement and the imagination. And one time we looked at, Brian found a flyer for like this kind of end times paintball group. Like a rapture, going on, a rapture, a rapture culture game. Yeah. <laughs> group that's going on not too far from where both of us live. And I think that there's some parts of that are really silly, but I actually can appreciate the seriousness of the moral and theological imagination that goes into that for good or ill. But I think it's important to take people at their word, take them seriously, and not make fun of them. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. My guests today are Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They're the co-hosts of a wonderful podcast called Weird Religion, and they are also both themselves scholars of religion. And we're talking about their show and what goes into making that show. We've been talking about this kind of freak show approach and how one can still be respectful in this kind of freak show approach. But in all of our conversation so far, we've been talking about pop culture. And I think a lot of people have the sense that pop culture is the fluff that's out there. But recently, my wife and I have been watching a TV show called Community. And I don't know if you two have seen this show, but for listeners that are unfamiliar with it, there's a central character in this sitcom community that is so enraptured with pop culture, with television, with everything, that he basically remakes his world around pop culture references. And I'm (laughs) using this as a way of saying pop culture is not fluff that's out there. It interpenetrates every conversation. It affects everything that we do. And so one of the things that I really like about our conversation so far is that in going to the heart of pop culture and looking at the religious aspects that overlap with pop culture, it seems to me that you are talking about some of the things that the scholar Paul Tillich would call the kind of grounds of our being. Is it safe to say, Leah Payne and Brian Doak, that pop culture is the ground of our being in 21st century America? What do you think about that? Oh, Wow, what a great question. Okay, so yes, I think that's I think that there's a lot um, of truth in that from my own perspective. And I should say that in some of my teaching evals, and, and students can be just heinous and mean in their teaching evaluations, but one of my favorite ones was I liked all the pop culture references that Dr. Payne did. Sometimes I didn't like the class. I'm like, whatever, I'll take it. So I I do think that you could argue that we're in a post-literate world. People don't read in the same way or the way that we're reading is changing so rapidly that I think that certain forms of popular culture are very important cultural formations that potentially can tie us together, certainly can pull us apart as human beings. And I'm trying not to act like I'm moralizing my own just tastes because I really enjoy watching religion and pop culture in TV and movies and a lot of other formats. But I actually do think that it's helpful for just human engagement in our world. What do you think, Dr. Doak? You're a scholar of ancient texts. Yeah, maybe I could lean into my ancient historian type kind of grumpy identity here. (laughs) This is one role we sometimes play in the podcast. Like Leah is the believer and I'm the grumpy person. I would say I'm the enthusiast. You're the enthusiast. And I'm like, so I'll play that role now. Okay. Very self-consciously, which is, I guess in some ways, pop culture, it fascinates me and disturbs me at the same time. Like for instance, I love memes. Like I just love jokes and memes. Yeah, you always send me memes. I just love memes. Yeah, maybe it's a visual aspect. Yeah. I saw a meme recently that I really liked. It was like a picture, like a cartoon of a boy. And then it's a boy that looks a little bit like Harry. Then it's like a boy that has, it's the same boy. And then he's growing like teeth. And in the last picture, he's fully transformed into a beaver. And then the caption is, when you're eating a popsicle and you get down to the stick. I just, 
I saw that. I just like, I just laughed for half an hour. Like I just loved that sort of thing. And that's the way that memes have become a part of pop culture is something that I'm then fascinated by. But then there's part of me that's disturbed. This is how I'm spending my time. Like I'm just laying on my couch and my kids are like, doing I don't know what and my dog is doing I don't know what and I'm doing that. So it's 2020 though. Give yourself a break. I do. Oh, I give myself plenty of breaks. <laughs> Lots of breaks. But uh, yeah, I think I could straddle that kind of divide where I feel disturbed by the role that pop culture has played and the way that it's informed or misinformed us politically or spiritually or whatever. But ultimately I'm drawn to it too. There's probably like a lot of great religious and psychological terms to use by this this sense of being repulsed by something and drawn to it at the same time. Dr. Dalt. I know that you were one of our favorite guests because you talked with us about a show that we all enjoyed, Jessica Jones. What do you think about this? What role do you think pop culture plays? I love that question and thank you. And part of it for me is what I've discovered is that theology oftentimes can be a technical language and all technical languages are power languages, which means Mm. if I come into a classroom and I start glaring at students and saying, give me 50 words on infralapsarian double predestination and I make (laughs) them seem like they don't know what they're talking about. And every time that they say something, I'm cutting them down. You know, that was basically in some senses, graduate school, making Mm -hmm. people feel little and small for the knowledge that they had and to feel like the knowledge that they had was inadequate. What I really love about pop culture, what I really love about talking about sports or basketball or fixing a car when I'm talking about theology, is it gives students a handle that they can grab onto. And with that handle, they then feel empowered in that conversation. Oh, yeah, I have something here that I can contribute, and I can even see connections based on this analogy that I didn't see before. But if I avoid the technical language and lean into the pop culture, I find that I'm including more people and not excluding more people. And that gets back to something that you were saying, Brian, about the whole notion of making sure that your scholarship matters. You said earlier that you were worried that all the publications that you have didn't matter. And so I'm really interested, how are you, both of you, but let's start with you, Brian. How are you seeing your conversations matter from this podcast, Weird Religion, in a way that you didn't see the connection and the mattering in classroom work or other scholarly work? Yeah, I think some of it, it, I could think of it in two levels. Like one is personal and then the other is just like connections. So like on the personal end, there are people that are like in my sphere of family or just people we know that I don't get to talk to as much as I want. But they will listen to the podcast and they'll send, they'll be like, yeah, I took a nine hour road trip and I just binged the podcast. And it's, it just provides a link like for me just to hear from people. And I think Leah's heard from people like that too, or we'll be at our downtown coffee shop and the people there will like be like looking at us in this weird way. And they'll tell us that they listen and there are students. And so I think there's a kind of connection within the spheres of people that we already know. And then they've also allowed us, that's allowed us in professional ways to connect, even then doubling back to that professional world that I said I thought was alienating with the publications. It's allowed us to go back and to actually re-engage some of that stuff, but in a different way and, and with different people. So I've experienced it as a way to connect even with my mom and my grandma and people like people in my family or even distant relatives who found it as an excuse to reconnect with me. And I've really appreciated that. But then also yeah, it gave us a chance to work with the Wabash Center and gave us a chance to give a presentation at the American Academy of Religion, which is the big conference, which we had to postpone because of the pandemic. I would say from my own perspective, yes to everything that Brian said. I think on a real, really fundamental human level, it's provided some necessary connection and meaning in our lives as scholars. You can be very isolated. And every now and then, 
We'll get emails from listeners who we've never met, which is super fun. I really love that. And then we'll get a chance to interact with people that we do know in a different way. Sometimes it's funny because someone will bring up something that I don't remember talking about with that person about, but they'll remember some detail of my life that I've shared <laughs> on the podcast. And just integrate it seamlessly. Into yeah. The yeah. And I'm like, Oh wait. So I, yeah, I think just as a person, it's been really great. And, but as a scholar, I would say that it's encouraged me. Brian and I have different fields and we interview people who have different fields of interest and expertise, but I feel like it, I know that it has enriched my own writing and work. And it's encouraged me and challenged me to make sure that my scholarly work is accessible as well. Because to Brian's point about does my work have meaning? And I think what you were meaning by that is basically, is my scholarship moving people in a particular direction, like regular people? And I want to make sure that my work does that. So I've been inspired and challenged, I think, in some positive ways. And it's helped me unlearn some of the habits that the Academy puts in your brain and in your affect. David, I loved what you said about, because you and I went to graduate school together. I loved what you said about how academic, like theological language is power language. Mm. And I I think I couldn't agree more with your comment about how pop culture is empowering to more people because formal training is great and I'm really thankful for it. And I feel a responsibility to steward that, but I don't ever want that to take me away from actually teaching and engaging with people who don't have formal training. Because for one thing, if it was just all the formally trained people, that's a tiny group of people. I want more friends than that. I'd like to follow on with that and turn the question inside out. So we were talking about how pop culture can help to broaden scholarship. But now I want to ask you, what does pop culture get wrong about religion? What do you wish that pop culture understood better about the kind of religion that you want to talk about? Oh, wow. Okay, I, I think we need to start at the beginning. Bible guy, you start us. Oh, Dr. nice, <laughs> nice segue. I think what the, the thing that comes to my mind most clearly is that when you do a television show or when you speak on the radio, you, there needs to be a certain kind of clarity so people can follow and understand. And I think that you don't have to be a religion scholar to know. You, you don't even have to be a religious person to know that people's lives are really complicated and people do contradictory things. And I think on a television show, I think of something like The Good Place, Mm, where, you know, which was one of the classic recent religiously infused shows where people had to be stereotypes and they tried to complicate it, but they had to do it like for TV. And I, I, I think the people that I know in my life, the religious people around me that I'm around, that are my family members, that I am, were really not so predictable sometimes for one thing. And there are some really frustrating ways in which we never change. We never come to that storybook moment of realization. But then we do in ways that I think probably television can never totally understand. So I think in order to make something coherent, you have to make it coherent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think that these things aren't always coherent in the ways that a narrative or a plot would lead you to believe. Yeah, I, it's funny. I went to such a concrete place with that question because I was thinking, well, one thing that irritates me is when you have characters on TV, especially if they're like Bible 
Bible scholars or pastors or something calling the book of Revelation, Revelations, you know, like just silly things like that <laughs> where they it. get that stuff wrong. Or thing. I actually, you know, I have a lot of pet peeves about where they'll show somebody who is supposed to be like an evangelical pastor, but he's wearing a crucifix or right. stuff like that where right. it's just That's on, what I mean. You come gotta, on, writers, you do the, your homework. That's what I mean, though. They're putting the symbol out there. They're like, see, Christian guy, cross, like they're doing that thing yes. that they have to do. And I think that's just lazy because they put a lot of, but of course that, of course I would think that. And Hollywood, call me if you want me to consult. Having said that, we yeah, think it's awesome. But I'm available for consultation. <laughs> no, but I think, so one of my, one of the people that I wrote my first book about is a woman named Amy Semple McPherson, who was a very well-known evangelist. It was before televangelism, but she would have been a televangelist to end all televangelists. She was just an extraordinary combination of religious fervor and celebrity culture and all kinds of things. But she is represented and misrepresented many times in pop culture. In fact, the new HBO series, Perry Mason has a very thinly veiled, her name was Amy Semple McPherson, but she was called Sister McPherson by her followers. So a very thinly veiled version of sister. And and so uh, that person, she was such an icon I see her a lot and I see her represented. I I think the best representations of her are as to Brian's point about the kind of complexity of religions and religious people and religious movements is I don't want to see a one dimensional characterization of someone like that. You know, a lot of times they'll be portrayed as someone who is like a con artist or someone who is just over the top zealous with no way of seeing nuance or complexity in the world. So the best versions I think of that are people, or when I see versions of religion that are more like regular life. In fact, Dr. Dahl, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. One of my favorite representations of Catholicism in popular culture actually comes from the superhero show Daredevil because it, to me, it feels like his Catholic self is just another part of himself, but you don't see these kind of like over the top characterizations. But you tell me, what do you think? Is that a fair assessment? In talking about Daredevil, as I expressed when I talked to you on Weird Religion about Jessica Jones, I really do think that the writers took very seriously these kind of religious landscapes. And I've said in that conversation that I thought that exactly as you've just said, Daredevil is a landscape narratively that is shaped by the Catholic nature of that character, and that Jessica Jones, strangely, is shaped by a Calvinist landscape. And for listeners, go and listen to that episode if you want to know more about that idea. But I'm what I'm really enjoying about this part of the conversation is how you all are thinking about this notion of representation. And we can talk about that more in the next segment, but for right now, I probably should take a break and let folks know that you're listening to Things Not Seen. Our guests today are Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They're the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion, and we are talking about that show and what goes into making that show. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these kinds of conversations, all for free for your listening pleasure. Today, I'm speaking with Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They are scholars of religion who teach in the Pacific Northwest, and they are the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts about spirituality and religion, a podcast called Weird Religion, where they are looking at, as they say, the kind of carnivalesque aspects of religious life in popular culture. 
I noted that you both live in the Pacific Northwest. And when I think about the Pacific Northwest, one of the things that I think about is Bigfoot. Oh, And yes. you mentioned at the top of the show that one of the things you had in your mind when you launched the show Weird Religion was the X-Files. And the X-Files, among other things, is famous for aliens and cryptozoology. So Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, the Yeti, those kind of things. When we're talking about those aspects of popular culture, the kind of mythological or cryptozoological aspects of popular culture. We're not really talking about religious icons. And yet there's an interesting overlap there. There's an overlap in the way that we talk about that and we talk about maybe an icon in the Christian tradition that is weeping myrrh or someone who gets healed by touching a relic. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the overlap between these kind of weird creatures that exist at the edges of our civilization in the kind of darkened and shadowy spaces and the ways that we think about religion. And Leah, if you'd start, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, wow. Okay. What a great question. Yes, we do live in the Pacific Northwest. We actually went on a Bigfoot hunt as the podcast a while back, and that was really fun. I think one of my favorite things that we've done, though, one of my favorite episodes is we went, and the sound quality isn't that great because it was a live episode, but we went to a local UFO festival here in McMinnville, Oregon. I think it's the only other place outside Roswell, New Mexico, where the U.S. government hasn't for 100% sure said that nothing happened there. And so there's like a a supposed alien landing or alien sighting, UFO sighting in the 40s. And just coincidentally, there is also an airplane manufacturing company that's right around there. And this was during World War II. But anyway, I don't want to be too much of a skeptic. They have a festival every year. And so Brian and I went and we decided that Brian's spouse, Susan, encouraged us to cough up I don't know, 20 bucks a person to go see. Way overpriced. It was a way overpriced viewing of a quote unquote documentary featuring this ufologist. And I can't remember his name. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. He's like, yeah. And Brian and I, at that time, I had a very young son, my baby boy with me. And so Brian was like super gracious. It was loud. But we had to sit way in the back because I had a baby with me. And we ended up on accident behind the guy behind Bob Lazar Bob Lazar who was the star of this He thought he was hiding in the back and then there we were. So there were not neither of us had ever been to anything like this. There were hundreds of people there and Bob Lazar was like a huge celebrity and we were basically I share that long story to say that we were introduced to this group that would if you didn't know otherwise you would say this looks like a religious movement to me. There was a lot of all the same kinds of things that would go into a revivalist church setting. A lot of people excited. They knew about, there was definitely a lot of secret knowledge that was going into, oh, the people who knew who Bob Lazar was were definitely like the true believers. And they all laughed at a lot of the same things. Some of, we didn't even know everything, all the inner jokes that were going on. They were all really excited about um, just to be together and to enjoy time together. And so I think when we came back from that, we were pondering, what is religious about that experience? And of course, in my field, there's lots of conversation about what is religion even, what separates it from culture and politics, blah, blah, blah. But we just, in the kind of the traditional Supreme Court definition of pornography, you know it when you see it. That's kind of how it felt, like being with a bunch of UFO believers 
in the physical place where it happened, it just felt exciting. And there was something there that was happening. What do you think? Oh, totally. And then when I think about animals like Bigfoot and these animals that have all these different features or composite animals, first of all, the Bible full of this kind of stuff, Ezekiel, all the way through to the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, but even the book of Job tells this story of animals in its last few chapters that live on the margins of a place. So it's easy to make certain kinds of correlations, like with Bigfoot. Like Bigfoot is living, I mean, in a comical way, but also a serious way. Bigfoot is living the Oregon dream. He is out in the wilderness. He is <laughs> camping so all the time. Kind of- a hipster, kind of bearded in a way, fully bearded, full body beard. And I think that's there's something about a sort of a public nature religion we're very broadly construed in Oregon that Bigfoot makes, he makes perfect sense within that. So in ways that are maybe our dogs and our cats, but really all animals reflect back on us and we use them as ciphers for meaning for ourselves. I think these kinds of animals tell us a lot about what we care about. And it's, it's not surprising to me that people in the Pacific Northwest would be obsessed with Bigfoot because he represents some kind of native Pacific Northwest type of life that we want to live, I think. Well, you've begun to range into this, so let me push into this question. In thinking about cryptozoology, we're talking about really wild animals versus more domesticated animals. You mentioned like cats and dogs, but I want to extend that idea to religion. What's the difference between wild religion and domesticated religion? Is that a useful division, and is it meaningful in any way in the kind of things that you talk about in your show Weird Religion? Wow, wild religion would have been an awesome, that's a great book title. That Somebody is. should write a book called Wild Religion yep. because Get on it. I think, actually, I have thought of this. Sometimes you can play a game in your mind where you think of book titles, books you'd like to write or articles. And there's a book that I thought I'd always want to write or research for at least, even if it never got written, called Animal God. Like mm. just this idea like that you can never fully really extract like in the biblical sense, God from animals and the way that animal imagery is used. And there's this kind of old line in biblical scholarship that at the creation event, What's supposedly so different about biblical faith is that God is separate from creation. God is not a part of it. And then there's this kind of image of, say, quote unquote, Babylonian religion or something where nature and God or the gods are fused. And I think that could deserve to be problematized because this idea of the wild is a deep part of biblical spirituality, say, for example, the idea of the wilderness, the idea of fasting, the idea of the desert. And so, To me, that wild, kind of like back to what you were saying earlier, Leah, about how the carnival or that sense, the freak, quote unquote, sense is in fact constitutive of the thing itself. I think that all religion is wild in some kind of sense, and especially the kind of things that I've studied. Like in the Hebrew Bible, you get that wildness infused or or always ready to break in right at the edge of the screen. I appreciate that so much. I think my minor interest, I'm a historian by training, but I would say that my minor field of interest is, is sociology of religion. And so I'm really interested in how we make these categories of wildness and domesticity. So all the kinds of meanings that we put on them and then like how those categories function in terms of ordering the world and ordering our own lives. One of my the, the funniest memories that I have when I started divinity school and I grew up in a charismatic West Coast denomination. And then I came to Vanderbilt Divinity School and I met a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, not a ton of Pentecostals there. And I remember one of my student mentors saying, whatever. He also came from a charismatic background and he said, whatever, you know, someone tells me that speaking in tongues is weird. And I'll just say to them, listen, 
Like I'll take your transubstantiation and be fine with it. You take my glossolalia and be fine with that too. And I always, that one made me laugh and really, it's actually stuck with me for many years now because I remember thinking like, oh yeah, there's like a mystical reality to the idea of the body and blood of Christ. I think of it in more domesticated terms because it comes from such a long tradition, but really that's pretty wild. That's very, that's an extraordinary mystical thing. And speaking in tongues might seem very wild to an outsider. Like it might seem completely out there, but if you grow up in that tradition, that there's like a specific time, there's a liturgy to charismatic worship services, even though they seem strange to outsiders. Like there's a time when you actually do that. It's, there's an appropriate way to do it that everybody kind of agrees on, even if they don't say it. So I guess my response to you is that I love thinking about those categories because it makes me think about the meanings that we put on them. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guests today are Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They are scholars of religion, and they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. And we're talking today about how that show gets put together and the ideas behind it. So I want to pivot now and ask about some of your favorite topics that you have discussed on weird religion. What was it that drew you to those topics? And what was it that you got out of that conversation about those topics that you found rewarding? Why don't we start with you, Brian? Oh, man, I'm going (laughs) back through the catalog here in my mind. I like in our newest set of episodes, I don't even know if it's realistic to call it a season anymore, but we did one um, called this episode 49 called The Militias. And it was about this guy named Rick Joyner who had this call for militia-based wars based on a dream that he had. And I really liked that episode in part because it did connect with my own spiritual heritage because I remember being part of a college age group in a charismatic circle where Rick Joyner was vaunted as like a leader and a prayer warrior. And then to see him, and I've totally forgotten about that name, And so then when he popped up again, having had a dream that there were going to be militias sprouting up like mushrooms and that we were to join them and somehow cleanse the country of you can guess what. Yeah, I I liked that episode, even though it was frightening, but I felt like just talking about it was like entering into that pre-election kind of space where everyone was afraid about a civil war. And now, thankfully, it feels like we've walked away from that brink a little bit. I hope that's true. But that topic of the kind of charismatic prayer warrior that kind of goes over the edge (laughs) into something like that, I I did like that topic, but I, I love our UFO topics. I've loved our mountaineering topics because of the great outdoors that we find ourselves in. But sometimes Leah and I have very different ideas of what we want to talk about, which is why it's fun to drag the other person in. <laughs> like when I dragged Leah into the uh, Twin Peaks episode, for example. Oh, that was fun, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the best conversations are the ones that we have that have some sort of like creative tension or disciplinary distinctions. One of the funnest ones. And now it's really hard because we're starting to have a lot of them under our belts now. And I would say we did this one called The House and we talked about, we've given each other homework. You have to watch this show or you have to watch some clip. And so we watched a bunch of home improvement shows and we got into a great conversation. We watched House Hunters, Property Brothers, Fixer Upper. And we got into this great conversation about kind of the mythic ideals that get shown or displayed and, and the formulas that go into fixer upper shows and the, like how, 
how those are portraying a particular ideal. And we got into a weird conversation about like fertility cults and animal breeding and stuff like that. <laughs> it was actually, I, that was one of my favorite conversations because it was so surprising where we went. I've also, I also really enjoyed the conversation that we had with Dr. James Bird at Vanderbilt Divinity School. We watched Ken Burns' Vietnam War, which was like a brutal 10 hours. We were texting each other like this, there's so much death and destruction. But then we had a really insightful, interesting conversation about war and religion. And Dr. Bird talked about his work on understanding the American revolution as a holy war and now his new book on the civil war as, and and like the religious impulses that went behind it. So those are the conversations. It's very wide ranging because we choose a popular culture item. We can go a lot of different directions, but those are two that I really enjoyed. We also did a a holiday special where we watched a Hallmark movie and that was really fun. Oh yeah. (laughs) I liked that one a lot. Just the range of it. I want to do part two. I love the whiplash of going from Hallmark (laughs) to something very serious. Yes. Yeah. Leah and Brian, as we're moving towards the conclusion of our conversation, I want to ask a question about how working on this show, Weird Religion, has affected your spiritual lives. How has it shaped your faith? And in asking that question, I realize that I'm asking something that is going a little bit more personal than the rest of the conversation. And so I appreciate very much if you don't feel comfortable to answer that question, but to the extent that you are comfortable, and we could start with you, Leah, I would very much like to hear how working on this show, Weird Religion, has shaped and changed your faith or your spiritual walk. Wow, that is such a deep question. I'll answer right now, but I'm sure... A half hour after we have this conversation, I'll think, oh, I should have said something else. But I would say that for me, it's been a very humbling experience in this way. Every now and then we'll get messages from listeners who are not, who we don't know, who may or may not have a particular religious community. Some of them grew up in a particular version of American religiosity, and then they're, they no longer identify in that way or, but Every now and then we'll get notes from people who say something to the effect of, I just appreciate that you were like company with me as I've been on this kind of particular journey. They might be religious, they might not be. And I think it's been very humbling to be with people, even though we're not actually physically with them and talk about serious things and and try to be honest about our own experiences, usually in funny ways, but every now and then in really deep and personal ways. And I think that feels like a a huge privilege. And so for me, spiritually, that I I take that seriously. And I don't know, it's humbling because what, what more could you want in terms of just like being company with somebody who's going through a deeply personal spiritual experience one way or the other. I, I yeah, I think that's been my most that that's been the, the a big takeaway for me. And then just the fun and the challenge of enjoying the silliness of my own upbringing and my own kind of version of American religion. I think I've just experienced a lot of joy in that, like the silliness and the fun parts of it. What about you, Brian? I probably have a very typical sort of religious life story in that I grew up in a small place and I moved out to the big city and rejected the old ideas and everyone was wrong and everything was stupid and I know now. And I think that the podcast, just doing it and just the range of things we've explored and just people's sincerity and and just the beauty and just the, the silliness of it. 
I think it's allowed me like an avenue back in to my upbringing and where I don't have to have that angry feeling all the time where things are just rejected, but that things can be laughed at, not even laughed at, but laughed with and embraced. And I think that the podcast has, has played a small but significant role in allowing me those pathways back. Leah Payne and Brian Doak, I am so grateful for your time today. I love your show, Weird Religion. It is always a joy to listen to it, and I learn so much from it. I'm grateful for the time that you put in to making that show, but I'm also so grateful for the time that you took to speak to me and my listeners today. Thank you for joining me. Dr. David Dahl, it has been our honor and privilege. Thank you for the time that you put into your work. We have benefited from it in so many ways. Wow. Thank you so much, David. We've been speaking today with Leah Payne, who is a professor, author, and American religious historian specializing in religious innovations, performance, and celebrity culture, and Brian Doak, who is a professor, author, and biblical scholar specializing in ancient Israel. Together, they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite shows, Weird Religion, a podcast that is available at weirdreligion.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Kijit. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.